Here is a sermon message from Somerville Community Baptist Church. To hear more sermons like this, please visit iloveSCBC.org. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Great. What a wonderful worship service. You know, no wonder our church has been known one of the best in music, you know, in this our nation, right? Or in our denomination. <laughs> uh, well, last, uh, last Sunday, we started our new series based on the book of Ruth, and I entitled the whole series, Ruth, the Romance of Redeemer. The Ruth of God's Romance of Redemption. Now, do you remember any lessons that I gave you as an introductory lesson that the way you have to read the book of Ruth? Remember any lessons? All right, this is the time that I gave you a pop-up quiz then. All right, you answer those questions, and of course, there's no prize, there's no um, judgment, okay? Just you take you take that and to see if you can answer those questions. Now, the book of Ruth, in the story, what kind of story is that? Love story. Love story, great. You know, it has every single element that love story should have, right? Lost tragedy, uh, there's no betrayal, but in a way, you know, romance and, you know, all this royalty and triumph and hope. So as I said, you don't have to bring all your girlfriends or your wife if they're the loves your lover and bring them to church. They'll all do. Okay, now, this is not just a love story, right? This is a story within a greater story. This is a story within the greater, greater story. The story of God's grand epic tale of redemption. God's been redeeming His people through His plan. Now, this was taking place where? Bethlehem and? Moab and then Bethlehem. Now the Bethlehem means the house of bread. Okay? Well, we didn't talk about that, so it's fair. Alright, so now this is the one of two books in the Bible that only named after woman, right? What's the other one? Esther. And this book, especially in the Old Testament, eighth book in the Bible, only named after pagan and Gentile woman. Imagine that. Think about the importance. God somehow fit this story in the Old Testament, where God only carrying, seemed to be caring for Israelite. Okay? Now, this story is taking place when? The time of Joseph, between the 1400 BC to 1000, where the people did everything to please their own eyes. Right? Last verse of the last chapter of the book of Judges sums up exactly what they did. It says, they did everything they so fit. In other words, they did everything that pleases their own eyes. Worshipping all different gods. They were pursuing their own prosperity. And care God. Okay? Isn't it amazing? In the midst of the worst possible circumstances, in the midst of the worst, simple, shameful history of Israelite. That's when God put this story. Story about the love story. It's not about just love story of this one family and one woman. It is a God's love story. The story always encourages us if we are someone like this Israelite in the Judges, where we only pursue our own desire, where we only try to find whatever so fit in our eyes. And God's grace and mercy is right there. Now, in this book, surprisingly, in an Old Testament, the eighth book, so it was a time that God was always proactively 
God was always showing up through his voice, through his presence, or through the prophets. But surprisingly, this fool, God didn't do that. God is always behind on the scene. Okay? God only revealed and mentioned by the people. And God's been supernaturally and secretly working behind the scene to use one of the least possible circumstances, to use one of the least possible person in the culture at the time to fulfill the great historical redemption, to give Israel people and to us great hope. Okay? Now, well, uh, this is a story of this Jewish family, right? Let's talk about this family tree. Who's the father of this story? Elimelech, right? Yeah. Okay, and who's the wife? Naomi. Gotta know by this time. Alright, and who are two sons? Malhon, Killians. Now, they married to two Moabite women. They are Orpha and Ruth. Later on, there is a redeemer and kinsman. His name is Boaz from the second chapter. And in the second part of our sermon on last Sunday, we talk about how everything, everything possibly goes wrong into this family. It starts from bad to worse to desperate, right? And the author put it so miraculously away, I mean, though so smart, that he put it in a very cold and very brutal way. Only use the five verses. Talk about this tragedy, nightmare of tragedy after another tragedy, and those five verses. What happened to them? Now, it started from bad, right? There was a famine. I believe that's because of God's judgment, because of their disobedience in the era of, you know, Jesus. And because of this famine, they had to move to the pagan land, the animal land, and more. Now, it gets worse. Now, soon after they moved to the land of Moab, what happened? The father of the family, Elimelech, died. And Naomi had to marry two sons to a Moabite woman. I don't think there was a picture when she had these two sons. I'll get married to this Moabite woman, this animus, this pagans, this old prostitutes. That's how they consider that. And it goes actually desperate, right? Because after 10 years, about in 10 years, and two sons, Melon, and Kilian, they almost died without leaving any son. There's no heir. Now, Naomi finding herself in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of the nightmare, that she lost everything. She lost the provider. She lost, you know, the, her identity, and she lost everything, her future and her hope, because she left with these two white women. That's where we ended. And I can actually pick up from it. And I entitled today's message continuously, When Everything Goes Wrong, Part 2, or When Everything Goes Wrong Again and Again and Again. Right? You ever feel like that? Everything's went wrong. You look around every single possible angle, and there are problems. You try to overcome, but there's another. And it seems like this one doesn't go away from your life. It seems like everything goes wrong in your life. There could be moments, days and weeks and even months. I had another, you know, the moment of everything goes wrong that I, apart from that I shared uh, last Sunday. It actually happened during my honeymoon. <laughs> you know, I married uh, about 11 years ago, 2006, um, the day before New Year's Eve, so January, I mean, the, on December 30th. 
the coldest time. But we had to do that because uh, I had to use Mina's Christmas break, and then she got married. She was with me, and then she came here for study. Okay. Now I planned on all the honeymoon. I thought it was great. I mean, since she's in you know America. And I'm going to be in America. We don't have to go any other country. So we decided to go to one of the beautiful islands in South Korea. It's called Jeju Island. It's actually far southern part of our country. So I figure it's probably warm enough without knowing there could be some unexpected weather and temperature. So when we get there, you know, after our ceremony, we're all exhausted. We're hoping to just take a quick shower and then went out for our dinner. And little did I know that she had his own makeup in her hair. By the way, she's so beautiful, isn't she? Yes. All right. Now, little did I know that they literally glued her hair with probably the bottles of spray. So she was in the top, okay? And then spending half an hour, even almost an hour, trying to wash her hair and take all the sticky, you know, hairsprays. And by the time that she got I think I fell asleep. So that's it. That's the first day. Oh, that's even worse, okay? That was bad, it get worse. So next day, I actually reserved um, a couple of, like, ocean, you know, marine activities. Figured that we went there, the, you know, island, we experienced those activities. And it was raining, okay? The temperature is pretty similar, like, today that you experience. You know, cold and soaking wet. And we went to get on this uh, jet boat. Wow. I mean, it, it looks like fun, right? When you get out of summer, it's fun. The weather, New Year's Eve, December 31st, where it's about 37 degrees and all this rains as if it's like snow. I mean, can't be just snow, it's worse than snow. Little did I know that, you know, they, they had a lot of fun. They did like 360 spins and they made this abrupt curve so that the, all the water gets into <laughs> By the time we finish, we're just praying, Lord, just let this over. And it's just and then we're all soaking wet. And then after that, we experienced another um, marine activity. So we actually get on the submarine, small submarine. You can kind of get down like about 10, 20 feet under the ocean to see all this beautiful, you know, creature there. I didn't know that's for the kids. <laughs> the majority of the people there are kids with a family. I was expecting this romantic mood. Just look at this thing that you'll never be able to see. That's so good. So that's the end of the second day. Now the third day, we decide to go on um, to find some great restaurants because they're really well known for great restaurants. It was actually the New Year's Day. So half of the restaurants are closed, and it's also winter. So at the time, not many people are going to the island during the winter time. All great restaurants are actually closed. So we ended up went to the market basket, like okay, so like store, and we did the grocery shopping, and went to our hotel suite, and then we cooked there. <laughs> now, if you have Marinette, make sure to don't you know don't don't save your money for your honeymoon because. You know, your wife, your future wife, they will leave upon the memory. <laughs> I'm always desperate that she's not going to bring that memory to me. <laughs> I mean, that's just some funny story to you. It's not funny to me. <laughs> but there are real stories, right? Real stories that try to change the world.
<laughs> real stories that you experience in your life. You know, like really everything seems to be going, you know, wrong. And you feel like you've been stuck in forward, there's no way out. You try hard, and the, the more you try hard, the feel like the, the more you get into the spiral. Right? Great example is uh, you know, Pastor Francis Chan. And he's a great pastor and also evangelist. When I heard his story, his life story, when he was in childhood, I was shocked. You know, his mother died um, while giving, you know, giving birth to him. Okay? And his stepmother died in a car accident when he was eight years old. And his father died of cancer when he was 12 years old. I'm sure that he can relate to this. But everything seems to go wrong. That's what's happening in this family of Naomi. There's no way out. Your life is just doomed to death. Your life is just starved to death because there's no provider. Literally, she know that in the midst of those five worst possible, hopeless circumstances, and God used those circumstances and set the stage for his mighty triumph. Try to give people the glimmer of hope in their life. Now, verse 6 actually begins that she heard her hometown of Bethlehem there is after food because God read the seed and there is no more famine. So she decided to go back to her country. And verse 8, she said, the Naomi said to her, to daughter-in-law, go back and each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show your kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husband and to me. Naomi was saying, if you come with me, you get nothing. You're going to be with this childless and widowed old woman. And there's no way you can get married there. You're better off to staying here in your nation. And both Orpha and the Morpha and Ruth, they wept and they refused. I want to go with you. And Naomi gave what I call a desperate and cynical this analogy of herself. Let's say if I have um, this new husband tonight and I give birth to a son, and would you be willing to wait 15, 17, perhaps 19, 20 years? What she was saying, I am hopeless. I have no hope. So you better go back to your place. Then Orpha wept and kissed Naomi, and she left. Ruth, on the other hand, she clung to her. You know what this word clung? The clinging is actually the, came from the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Or the famous verse, right? Where the man shall leave father and mother and cling to his wife, for they shall become one flesh. That's a covenantal oath. Okay? Naomi wasn't just saying, I'll follow you. She was saying that I will hold on to you like my husband. I will be with you. And she made this one of the most beautiful and well-known statements in the book of Ruth. We can read it all together. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from me. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God be my God. Where you die, I'll die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. Be ever so severely. He that separates you and me. Think about that. What Ruth was saying, I'm willing to give up. 
I'm willing to give up everything, my land, my people, my culture, my religion, my God, to follow you. I mean, the Bible never said this, but I can see why she made the decision. It's not because of her faithfulness only, but also there is a great part of Naomi. Think about the life. This is my speculation. How she treated her. How she influenced her to the point that she's willing to not only follow her mother-in-law, but also accept her God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And I think it give us a lesson about whatever that you do. How you lead matters to other people. Don't try and just hold up the Bible and smash on others with the word of God. You gotta believe it, otherwise you go to hell. No, that doesn't work. The best way of evangelizing people, start from your family, start from your relatives, start from neighbor and your colleagues. You don't have to even say one word about God. Show them your loving and kindness. Show them your good work ethic and let them know that you're there and they'll come to you. Ask for prayer. They'll come to you and start wondering about how in the world that you're different. That is the best way to bring people to God. Amen? Yeah. Now, let's, let's kind of evaluate this scene right here. Now, we have these two daughter-in-law, Orpha and also Ruth. Remember this, everything that Orpha did was just, it's just considered to be normal to the culture, right? She simply followed what the culture said. She simply followed what the society thinks is normal. Well, she doesn't have a husband. If I follow this, my mother-in-law, I will be desperately discriminated there. You know, I'll be there and they'll be sort of full of prejudice for me to better be here. So she pretty much sit and stay in her comfort zone. On the other hand, what did Ruth do? Ruth got out of her comfort zone. And because of Naomi's kindness, because of her loving and caring heart, now she got to know God, Yahweh, Jehovah, and she was willing to take a step of faith and challenge herself. She was willing to go out and be radical. And that really spoke to me deep down in my heart. Think about that. God doesn't use a qualified one, right? God does not use all the full of talented one. God used the willing heart. Amen. God used those who are willing to be jump out of your comfort zone. Take challenge to take a step of faith. I mean, think about Noah. Mm -hmm. It was crazy enough to build an ark at the top of a mountain, right? Think about Adam. I mean, think about Abraham. He was, well, I want to use this word, but I don't know. He was stupid enough to be able to give up everything. Mm -hmm. The God had provided his family's property and went into the promised land. Think about Daniel and three friends. They were bold enough to confront this king. That's how God used. Amen? Yeah. God doesn't call the qualified, but He qualifies the cult. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Look at that. You know, Jacob was what? Cheater. I think you read it all together. Peter had a temper, and David had a fear, and Noah got drunken, and Jonah ran from God, and Paul was a murderer, and Gideon was insecure, and Miriam was a gospel, and Martha was a warrior. And Thomas was a doubter. And Sarah was impatient. And Eliza was moody because out here. You got that? All those were used by God. It's not because of what they have. God qualifies the call. 
God doesn't care about your ability. God doesn't care about your, your qualification. God cares your heart. Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? And willing to be radical? And willing to be furious? Willing to be sometimes to be called foolish and stupid according to this culture? Now, think about that. Why in this culture here in America, and other cultures where the Christianity is really prevailed, why we don't experience much of miracle? Why we do not experience much of God's provision and providence and providence in His presence? And I believe that's because we become like couch potato. We make ourselves too much comfort. We make ourselves just feeling that I'll be here, you know, and we were easily compromised by this what the culture, the society, this norm says. No. God used those who were willing to take a step of faith and get out of your comfort zone. Be radical. And be radical. Amen? Amen. Now, now, they were getting into the, at the entrance of this land of Bethlehem. And verse 19 says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Can this be Naomi? So look at this. The, the, the statement that Ruth had made was so profound that every single, I mean, the rest of the journey was so silenced. Naomi didn't answer, didn't respond to anything. Now they are at the hill of this land of Bethlehem. When they are walking into this Bethlehem, they're stirred. Can this be Naomi? Oh, my cousin and my auntie, my relatives, I haven't seen her for a long time, about 10 years. But in the meantime, there's also a pause by looking at the lady right next to Naomi. Who is this lady? What I? No, at this moment, I want to actually put yourself in the shoes of Naomi. Now, she's returning her hometown. She had everything, her husband and two sons. At the time, the husband and sons matters. She feels so bitter because she felt like God has been betraying her. And not to mention that she makes the following statement, which we can read all together. No, call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. What Naomi was saying is, don't call me Naomi, meaning pleasant, lovely. Instead, call me Mara, bitter. Why? Because God afflicted me because there is a misfortune of God that was upon me. Think about that. There is this great bitterness, and she, she was pretty much complaining and blaming upon God. Now, I'm going to ask you to actually put yourself in the shoes of, shoes of Ruth right now. She was marching with Naomi at the land of this foreign land, animal land, hostile land. She knew there will be undoubted prejudice, undoubted discrimination. And she walked there, and all people kind of surround her and looked at this very strange and shocked and surprised eyes on her. Now, she probably take one step back, try to behind, and hide behind Naomi. And there's a bomb, a bomb that she dropped on the roof because of what did Naomi say? I left full, but I came back empty. 
God afflicted me, and the Almighty brought misfortune upon me. Ruth probably said, you know, I clung to you. I gave everything up for you. Is this how you respond back to me? Hello, I'm here. You're saying I'm the symbol of misfortune? I am the picture of God's affliction? Think about that. Now, Ruth was standing behind of Naomi, having this feeling of humiliation. Right? Feeling of embarrassment. And that's the end of the chapter 1. That's it. Now, I want to ask you, if you stop right here and just read it, you're going to probably walk away from the service and feel so depressed. Where was God? What was he doing as, you know, as Ruth was so struggling, as also Naomi was so struggling? Think about that, the life of Naomi. She lost everything. She suffered from bad and worse and desperate. Now, the interesting thing is, this story is very similar to the story of Job. Okay? The author makes sure to not to tell the readers that she got all these pains and tragedy because of her sin, because of what she did. Instead, the author was telling the readers and us to great lesson that the reality in the lives of people who follow after God also experience suffering and trial and tragedy. Isn't that so simple but true? A lot of people believe in God, you're free from your suffering and tragedy. You have no idea how many people came to me and tried to get the answer from me, Lord, I didn't do anything wrong, and why God was, you know, afflicting us, why God was judging us and punishing us. No, it's not. That's a reality of our life. That's a part of our life. If you get that one simple fact, you'll be having a lot better idea about the living God. Because what you are going through right now, perhaps all this provision of God may be very hard on you. All these circumstances and situations and very bitter and so heavy to bear. And perhaps you want to give up right now. You want to blame one to God like Naomi did. But the author was very careful in the midst of all the trial as we are going through, as she's going through trials, there is a hope. There is a thread and glimmer of hope. Now, author is giving us by referring to God's names. Okay? The first is Almighty, and the second is the Lord. Let's talk about a little bit about those two names and how God, ironically, in the midst of this statement of, you know, Naomi, bitter statement, was putting these two names you know, to reveal what God is going to do. It's kind of foretelling the people to the story. Now, the Almighty means El Shaddai. Okay? El Shaddai is first introduced the book of Genesis chapter 17, where God appeared to Abraham. And he introduced himself by this. I am the Almighty. I am El Shaddai. But that's not just Almighty. El means the singular of Elohim, right? The God. Shaddai is actually from the Hebrew word Shek. That's woman's breast. Okay? So it's not about Almighty God. That, you know, I'll give you everything that you want. Mighty God. No. This El Shaddai meaning that woman. Mother was just had a baby. And then baby was totally relying upon the mother's breast. I knew that. Because I have my seven-month-old daughter. And for two months, you know, the grace didn't even have water, right? 
All she had was mom's breast milk. That's it. That's a picture of God Almighty here. He's not just Almighty. He's not just provider. He is there always to provide you whatever that you need. The second also, the name of God is what? Yahweh. It's also introduced in the, in the book of Exodus chapter 3. At the burning bush, the most incarnate. Remember that? Yeah. How do I tell other people about you? And then God said, I am that I am. That is also Yahweh. That is a covenant name. In that name, God's promise is there. God's faithfulness is there. So in the worst possible circumstance, where Naomi was making this beer statement, author wisely and remarkably, and putting these two names here, and foretells about what God is going to do. To sum up these two names, I think I can come up with this, the, the lesson message of today which we can read it all together. In his sovereign design, God used sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for his surprising triumph. Isn't that so true? And has a mighty design. That God uses our worst possible, shameful, simple, and sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for his surprising triumph. And there was always faithfulness of God. Think about that. When Naomi was making this bitter statement, you know, the Ruth was right next to her. Little did she know that it was a Ruth, the pagan Gentile woman that God is going to use to show his faithfulness. It was through the Ruth that God was going to survive, God, God was going to restore whole the family of Elimelech. And through the lineage of the family of Elimelech, there's Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, what you're going through in your life. I hope that you find the great encouragement today. Even though that you are in the midst of everything seems to be going wrong, from bad to worse and desperate, and you're complaining to God, God is working in the midst of you. Amen? In the midst of the worst possible circumstance, you lost your faith, God is still faithful to you. So being faithful, and take out of your comfort zone sometimes. Be willing to experience and expect and, and accept God's providence and God's lesson and God's plan. And that's what we're going to see from the second chapter through the first chapter. I can wait to see and read from the second through the fourth. Can you? Amen. All right. So that means you're going to come back to the next Sunday. So we will continue to look at this great love story of God. All right. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we learn today in the worst possible circumstances, when everything seems to be going wrong, you're still there. You're always faithful. When everything seems to be wrong that we wanted to give up, God, you put your hands upon us. Always use that circumstance to set the stage for your great triumph. So help us always be encouraged as we continue to go through this, you know, the shadow of the walk of this valley, Heavenly Father. As we are walking in the worst possible circumstances, Heavenly Father, we help us always be mindful that God is with us. God is walking with us. And God is guiding us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.